Matt prayed earlier that we would look at Jesus. Uh, M said just now, pray for St. Paul's Haringey, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. And God willing, that's what we're going to do as we look at uh, an interesting section of Luke's gospel. You'll know that uh, two of the gospels, Matthew and Luke, tell us quite a lot that we're familiar from Christmas readings about the conception and birth and infancy of the Lord Jesus. Uh, All four Gospels tell us a very great deal about his three years or so of public ministry, ending with the crucifixion and resurrection. Uh, But Luke does a fascinating thing here between chapter 2, verse 41. So so if you just glance back just before the reading, um, verse 39, when Jesus is um, uh, very young, Joseph and Mary have gone to the temple to do what they're required by the law of the Lord. They go back to Galilee, to Nazareth, and we read that little summary in verse 40. The child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. And uh, between there and chapter 4, verse 14, um, Luke introduces Jesus Uh, In a kind of in-between section, chapter 4, verse 14, is the beginning in Luke's gospel of the public ministry of Jesus. And we're going to to spend our our time in most of this in-between section. We're not actually going to do the last bit, the temptations of Jesus, but we're going to be in that in-between section. And we begin with a most unusual passage. I don't know if you've reflected on this, if you've been... Christian for a while and a Bible reader, but you may have reflected that it's strange that you know a certain amount from Matthew and Luke of Jesus' infancy when he's very tiny, and then you know a great deal from when he's about 30 years old. So uh, chapter 3, I forget where it is, somewhere there's a verse that says Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his public ministry. I've lost it. It was there last time I looked. But for that sort of nearly three decades, from infancy to 30-year-old, we know just about nothing. I don't know if you've reflected on that. You get used to it reading the Gospels. You just get used to, well, we know what we know. Um, But it's fascinating. Luke gives us this little window in this morning's passage of when Jesus was 12 years old. It's fascinating. The curtain just gets drawn back just momentarily for one little incident uh, in Jesus' childhood and uh, sort of boyhood, really. And it's a wonderful little story. And I think one of the things it, it, it's going to do for us is, is this. In the story, there's a lot of seeking and searching, literal, physical, topographical seeking and searching. Joseph and Mary are trying to find Jesus. There's a lot of that. And I think we're going to, I hope you don't think that I'm being fanciful, but I think one of the things it may help us with is to stir in us afresh um, in, in our lives a seeking of Jesus. If I was to say, are you seeking Jesus? It may be there's someone here and you're, you're not a Christian as yet. And you say, well, I think probably I am seeking Jesus. I'm not quite sure I would use that expression, but maybe that's me. Maybe I am sort of on the way looking for Jesus in some way. Maybe that fits with me. 
Others of us, I suspect, if we've been Christians for a little while, would say, well, I, I was seeking Jesus, and then I found Jesus, or perhaps to be more accurate, Jesus found me. Uh, but, but I'm not seeking him now because he's found me and I, and I know Jesus. And I want to um, say to you, as I say to myself, it would be a good thing if you and I never really feel that we've found Jesus in a comprehensive sense. And if all through every day of our Christian lives we think, actually, I am still seeking to know the Jesus whom I don't really know. And I think this passage will help us a little bit with that. There are only three characters in the drama. There's Jesus himself as a a 12-year-old boy. There's uh, Mary, his biological mother. Joseph, his legal, his adoptive um, father. There are others in the background, the teachers of the scriptures. But those three are the main characters of this little cameo uh, drama. Now, I think there are three things interwoven in it that, that I want to try and draw our attention to. I'll tell you them up front, and then you'll, you'll sort of see them as we go through, I hope. Two things about Jesus, and one thing uh, which is going to engage with, with, with us directly. The two things about Jesus, you could sum up under two words, his listening and his loyalty. So those are the two things about Jesus we'll be looking for, his listening and his loyalty. And then there's a seeking or searching which will relate to us, uh, I think. Let's start um, at the beginning. Verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he's 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. Just a little insight that Jesus was brought up in a godly home. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 says you should, you should love the Lord your God and you should talk about the Lord your God with your children. Um, at home and away and all sorts of different times of day and night and so on, you talk to, to your children about the Lord. And it would seem that that's the home that Jesus was brought up in. I don't suppose every Jewish family went up to Jerusalem for Passover every year. But when Jesus was one, they went up to Passover. When he was two, they went up to Passover. As his brothers and sisters were born, each one was born, and they went up to Passover again when he was three, four, five, six, seven. Every year they went up to Passover. And as they went up, they talked to him, and he learnt the story of slavery of God's people in Egypt and, and God redeeming them out of slavery and rescuing them because he loved them and bringing them out of slavery and bringing them through the wilderness into the promised land. And he, he learnt all those, the, the, those stories in his infancy and then in his childhood. And now, age 12, they're at Passover again. And then verse 43, after the festival was over, the days of the Passover festival have, have ended, while his parents were returning home, of course they were, the festival was over, they were on their way back up north to Galilee, to Nazareth. Uh, the boy Jesus, interesting, Luke is very precise Back in verse 16, he calls him a baby. In verse 40, he calls him a child, little child. And now he's a boy, the boy Jesus, the 12-year-old. He stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they, his parents, were unaware of it. Literally, they did not know it. And the question of what his parents know or don't know is going to be very significant. They didn't know. Thinking supposing, verse 44, 
that he was in their company. He was in the group going back up, um, uh, up north. Interestingly, I was talking to two parents here just before we met, and one said to the other, do you know where our children are? <laughs> I won't publicly expose them because they, <laughs> they might be embarrassed. But it was a little bit like that with, with Joseph and Mary. There they were going up north, and they assumed that the boy was with them. After all, he was 12. And they traveled on for a day, walking up north, and then they began looking for him, seeking him. And they sought him among their relatives and friends, said the NIV. Friends is literally those they knew. They assumed he was amongst those they knew. After all, they knew him. He would be amongst those they knew. And they're going to discover that they didn't know him in more senses than one. There's something rather deep about this, not being amongst those they knew. And they didn't find him, so they go back to Jerusalem to look for him. Again, there's this, that searching, a lot of seeking and looking and searching and not finding going on here. And then after three days, they find him. So there's a finding, and they find him in the temple, in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, listening. He's listening in the temple to the teaching of the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and he's asking them questions. In his godly home, no doubt, he's been taught the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. And the first thing I want us to, to really get hold of is this, that, that Jesus learned everything he knew from the scriptures. We tend to assume that if we've been Christians for a while, we think, well, Jesus is, is God the Son. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's fully God. Um, surely what he knew, he just knew. He had a kind of heavenly download. He just kind of automatically knew it. But wonderfully, there he is listening and asking questions. Now, I think it's fair to say that he's asking genuine questions. He's asking because he wants to know I mean, there are, there are non-genuine ones. In Cambridge, where I live, there are questions like this. You, people sit round in a university seminar and some bright spark puts their hand up and asks the speaker, have you considered the recent work of Professor Nadezhda Stransky? Which is not really a question at all. It's really saying, I want everybody in the seminar to know that I have read the work of <laughs> Professor Stransky and I've read it in Bulgarian. It's a show-off question. It's not a real question at all. <laughs> The question couldn't care less whether the speaker has read this, just wants everybody else to know that. I think we can safely assume that the questions Jesus was asking were not like that. Can we not? That the question he's genuinely asking, he wants to know the scriptures and he wants to know God, his heavenly father, the God of the scriptures. They're genuine questions. And everyone who, who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers, that is the answers to the follow-up questions that the teachers asked him. They were amazed at his understanding. It's a little bit like the boy Samuel in one chap Samuel chapter 3, who, who, who says, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening, and he listens and listens and listens, and then he speaks. A little bit like the psalmist in Psalm 119, who says, I've got more insight than all my teachers because... I meditate on your statutes. And the Lord Jesus, as he grew, of course he had to learn language. He had to learn to understand words and to speak words, all the usual learning that, 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 that infants and, and youngsters 
um, begin to, to learn. He, all of that he had to learn. He had to go through all those cognitive learning processes. But he's longing to listen to the scriptures. Uh, Isaiah prophesies him in chapter 50, uh, has him speaking. Isaiah speaks by the Spirit of Christ um, and saying of the Lord, he wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. And he listens and he listens and he listens. And it's an extraordinary thought, is it not, that everything the Lord Jesus knew about God his Father in his humanity, he learned from the Scriptures. Everything he knew about his calling, he learned from the Scriptures. Somehow the Holy Spirit brought it home to his heart that when he read about the king, David, and the kings in David's line, and the Holy Spirit brought home to his heart that he was going to be the fulfillment of that line of kings. When he read about the prophets, the Holy Spirit brought home to his heart he was going to be the great prophet. When, the, when he read about the priests, the Holy Spirit brought home to his heart he was going to be the priest. When he read about wisdom, uh, that the Holy Spirit brought home to his heart he was going to be the fulfillment of wisdom, the temple. He'd be the fulfillment of the temple. All those lines of fulfillment. But he learned them from the scriptures. He listened and he learned. It's an extraordinary thought. I find myself increasingly marveling at Jesus. I remember when I did my formal theological studies, we had to do a paper in patristics, which is early church history, the first five centuries or so. And lots of debates about the Trinity and the doctrine of Christ, the divine human person of Christ and so on. And at the time I thought, do you know, this is really rather dull. And you just learn about this heresy and that heresy and this orthodoxy and that orthodoxy and, 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 and you, you kind of cram it all so you can write your essays and things. But the more I come back to it, the more I think you can walk round and round the person of Jesus and marvel and marvel at this man who is fully, fully man, fully human. He learns as we learn and yet at the same time fully God. Anyway, it's an astonishing thing. And his parents see him there, verse 48, and they're astonished. There's something very surprising, not just about the fact that he's there, but, but the kinds of questions he's asking and the insight that he shows. Not, not because he's, we've no idea where Jesus would have scored on an IQ test or anything like that or a verbal, verbal reasoning. We have no idea at all. Um, we have no idea whether he was supremely intelligent or, 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 or not. But he learns and he learns and he learns and he listens and he listens and he listens. And so there's something rather wonderful about that. Well, his mother rebukes him. Son, she says, why have you treated us like this? Uh, your father and I, it's literally, behold, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, searching for you in great distress. Any parent who's lost a child in a store or a public place, I think friends of ours in Cambridge who, who were visiting Niagara Falls, where if you've been there, huge crowds, and they lost their son when he was a, a toddler. And it was terrifying. Anybody who, who's lost a child will, will, will know how frightening that is. And Mary and Joseph have been frightened in this search. And the, the search they've been, you know, once they realized he was missing, it's all consuming, isn't it? If you've lost a child... Uh, maybe a nephew and niece, a goddaughter, or you know whoever it may be, you've lost a child somewhere. 
You, you, you don't take phone calls. You don't check Facebook. You don't do anything else. You just look for them, don't you? It's all-consuming. And that's what they were doing. And then very gently, I think so gently, the boy replies, verse 49, Why were you searching for me? He asked. Didn't you know? So they didn't know that he wasn't with the group. They thought he would be amongst the people they knew, their acquaintances. But here is something they should know and can know. Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? And, of course, it's very emphatic, isn't it? Mary says, your father and I. Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? And there's something extraordinary here that the Lord Jesus, this, this is his loyalty. He, he's learned somehow his identity. He knows that God in heaven is his father. He knows that that is his supreme loyalty. We'll see him being very um, submissive to, to, to Mary and to Joseph in just a moment, humanly. But he knows that his, he has one supreme loyalty, which is to his father, and that the temple is his father's house. And he learns that from the Old Testament, that loyalty. Well, of course, they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Verse 50, how could they? would have been astonishing if they did. We, we, we tend to read the Bible, and when people don't understand, we tend to tut-tut, don't we, and say, how silly of them. Of course, they should have known. Of course, we wouldn't have known. Can you imagine if you had a 12-year-old boy, and you've lost him, and you find him in the temple, and he says to you, didn't you, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Of course, you wouldn't understand at the time, and they don't understand. But then very surprisingly, at the end of the passage, Jesus goes down to Nazareth with them, uh, up north into Nazareth, uh, but down because Jerusalem is the place of supreme importance, and he is obedient or submissive to them. That's rather surprising. You might expect him, having said, I must be in my father's house, so I'm staying here. You can go home, <laughs> mom and dad. I'm staying here. But he knows from his father's house, he knows from the scriptures, he knows from the fifth commandment that he must honour his father and mother. And he does. And he goes back up north and for 18 more years of silence, he grows. And uh, we read that he grows in wisdom and stature. He gets bigger, he gets taller, he gets stronger, he goes through puberty, he goes through all the normal stages of growing of a boy. And he grows in favor with God and man. And 18 more years of silence. It's worth pondering the listening of Jesus and the loyalty of Jesus. And uh, I want to commend to you just sometimes saying to yourself, well, I tend to read the Bible because I want some application to myself. I want something that will make a difference to me. Actually, if you just ponder on the wonder of Jesus... Um, that will impact you probably more deeply than a number of other things might do. It's not a bad thing to do. But um, there's one thing I missed out when I was, we tracked through the passage quite quickly just now. Verse 51, uh, this second half of the verse, we read, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. 
And I want us to ponder that. We've read something very similar uh, earlier in Luke's gospel um, in verse 19. Glance across the page at verse 19 where um, Jesus has been born and the shepherds have come and told the story of the angels and the message of the angels and so on. And there's general amazement. And then we read in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And I want us to think about the beauty of Mary. Uh, As Protestants, we often, um, well, I don't know about often, but we sometimes say to one another, we don't want to pray to Mary. There's no need to pray to Mary. She wouldn't have wanted us to pray to her. We don't need statues of Mary. We, don't, we shouldn't venerate Mary. All of that is a mistake. In some ways, it's an understandable mistake because Mary is so wonderful, but it's a mistake. But the danger if we just say negative things about Mary is that we forget how beautiful she is. I'm not speaking of her physical beauty. We have no idea what she looked like. We have absolutely no idea about her figure or her face or all the superficial things that we mind about so much. But she was deeply beautiful inside with that inward beauty that Peter talks about in his first letter in 1 Peter chapter 3, that inward beauty of her heart. There is something very, very beautiful about Mary. And I want us to think for a minute about this pondering, and treasuring. We don't know much about Joseph. All we do know in Matthew's gospel is good, that he was a righteous and honorable man. He doesn't appear later in the gospel stories. It's often assumed that he's died. Perhaps he was older, perhaps he's died. That seems quite likely. We know nothing bad about Joseph, but we know these extraordinarily good things about Mary. She treasures. And you think um, often her heart must have gone back to that moment, that shocking moment when the angel Gabriel announced to her that she would, as a virgin, she would conceive and give birth to a boy and that he'll be great and he'll be called the Son of the Most High, Luke chapter 1. Or her her mind and heart go back to that day when she is pregnant and she visits her cousin Elizabeth, uh, the mother of John the Baptist, And John the Baptist leaps in his mother's womb with joy. (laughs) Extraordinary um, moment. Uh, And her mind and heart go back to that. Or to the song she'd sung, uh, that Mary had sung at at that time with Elizabeth. Uh, To the birth of her son, to the angels and the shepherds, to the strange words of Simeon, the old man in the temple, telling her strange things about her son and indeed herself. And now this frightening losing him and finding him. And all through those years as she breastfeeds him as a baby, as she changes his nappies, as she teaches him to walk and talk and eat, as she sees him grow, she ponders and she watches. I was just thinking this morning, what an extraordinary thing it must be, because I suppose the relationship of a mother to a baby and, and, and then a growing child is perhaps the most intimate of all human relationships, more intimate than husband and wife in many ways. It's extraordinary intimacy of a mother with a child to whom she's given birth. And what it must be like to, to watch your son grow up 
utterly and completely human, with nothing abnormal about him, completely human, not, not like an alien at all, fully human, and yet without sin. Must have been extraordinary, mustn't it? Um, mothers here must be thinking, that would be wonderful. <laughs> well, it must have been wonderful, but it must have been strange as well. And she ponders, and she pictures for us what it is to be a believer. Mary is not to be venerated and prayed to, but she is to be, to be, to be followed as a model of a believer. And she understands that the things of Jesus are not readily understood. She understands that she needs to ponder and treasure. I suppose every mother treasures their son or daughter, but there's something about Jesus that she treasures and ponders deeply. And she understands, something's very necessary where I live in Cambridge, she understands that Jesus is not known by the scientific method. You know, sometimes we, we speak as though with Jesus, you, 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 you get, collect together all the evidence and you weigh up all the evidence and you, you, you put all the evidence on the scales and you come to your conclusion and, and you, you say, yes, Jesus is true, I know Jesus. There's a place for all of that, but knowing Jesus is a deeper thing than that and there's a treasuring and a pondering in the heart of Mary. And I wonder, therefore, whether the repeated language of seeking and searching that we have in this passage because you get it again and again we're seeking and searching we were looking we were looking for you we find him it's of course it's physical but I wonder if there is an analogy in our searching and even that there may be an analogy that 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 just as their seeking and searching was a bit anxious well probably very anxious whether there are times when seeking Jesus can cause us anxiety. The Jesus I thought I knew, and I found that I haven't known him as well as I thought I knew him. And in a sense, the whole of the Christian life is a seeking of Jesus. Even after Jesus has found us and we belong to him, we're still seeking. We walk round and round the Lord Jesus. We shall spend eternity wondering at the marvel of Jesus of Nazareth. And as we conclude it's just worth thinking that 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 his full humanity means that he really does understand he really does know our weaknesses our sorrows our joys our temptations our frailty our tiredness our weakness our mortality he really does understand we experience mortality and weakness and frailty because we're sinners in a world under sin he had no sin of his own but he experienced all that weakness and that mortality for us and for our sin and for us. He wept for us. He suffered for us. And the other thing I think is worth remembering is that you see this little glimpse of Jesus. I must be in my father's house. And you see this little glimpse of his loyalty to the father and his humble listening to the scriptures. It's just worth pondering that that characterized every moment of his childhood and early adulthood all the way through to his public ministry had he for one second had he for one moment slipped into a sinful thought a sinful word a self-pitying thought 
a lustful thought, a covetous thought, had he for one moment fallen into that, he could not be our saviour. And it is a wonder, is it not, that this fully human boy can be born and can be grown at the age of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, all the way through to his public ministry. And at no point, for, at, in no moment, does he fall into sin. Always there was this humble listening to the scriptures, this learning, this seeking to know God through the scriptures. Always there was this supreme loyalty to the Father. It is a wonderful thing, and he did it for us. Now, that is wonderful. So I, you, you'll say at coffee time, there was no application of this morning's um, talk. It had no effect on us at all. But it's just possible that meditating on the wonder of Jesus may do you good. It may encourage and cheer that he did all that for you. It may encourage and cheer you and make you glad to be a follower of Jesus, for he is truly wonderful. Let's be quiet and I'll pray. God, our Father, we cannot do more than begin to understand what it was for your eternal Son to take our human flesh, body, mind, will, spirit, heart, everything about our humanity, and to live that life for us with sinless obedience and loyalty to you. We thank you for that wonderful summary of your son growing in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And we thank you and we praise you that he did it for us. In his name, amen.